0: It's my pleasure to have you join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can deal with the curveballs being thrown at you and your wallet by coronavirus. And I want to revisit something that has been the number one topic that is being posted on clark.com ask, and it concerns the loans that are going to be made available by the SBA either directly or through participating banks and credit unions. Now I would say that I would give myself a D minus on my answers yesterday on the loan programs because what happened after yesterday is new guidance was issued that made a lot of my answers flat out inaccurate to wrong depending on the specific answer. So I have much more information available for you now to guide you if you are a small business owner, you are self-employed, you are an independent contractor. Now I want to point out even today that the feds have not issued at the SBA, have not issued guidance to financial institutions yet for loans that applications are able to be submitted as soon as Friday for small businesses. So I want you to know that I will each day give you the best answers on this that I possibly can on SBA loans that are available and know that because the regulations and guidelines are being drafted as we're speaking that some of the things I say that I believe in good faith are the right answers will turn out to have been only partially accurate or wrong but I will do my best every time I speak to you to speak as clearly as I can about how this is going to work and also what you need to know so that you as someone reeling from the loss of business from coronavirus will know how to get funds as quickly as possible for your business. Now let me start with the divide off from normal SBA lending that is designed to go into effect Friday. What is now labeled as the Paycheck Protection Program is designed to try to encourage small businesses to bring people back on payroll who you may have laid off or keep people on payroll that you were likely to lay off. So under the Paycheck Protection Program, where normally SBA forms are numbingly complex, take forever to fill out, require extensive documentation, now it is a very streamlined process And a lot of it's based on an honor system. There will be a level of fraud that occurs with this, people who game the system. But here's what's required of you. A very simple form that you can see a sample of, and the form may modify a little between now and Friday, but an application form that requires almost nothing from you other than just a few minutes of calculation. You put in your business name information, your taxpayer identification number or EIN or SSN, your contact information, and then you calculate your monthly payroll. So whatever your monthly payroll is for your business, you calculate it. If you have highly compensated employees that under the law Or people who make more than $100,000 a year. I'm seeing conflicting information whether you mark down an effective monthly payment to somebody who makes more than $100,000 a year down to roughly $8,000 a month or if they are not counted at all. There's conflicting information that hopefully will be clarified by Friday, hopefully. You take whatever that average monthly payroll is. Let's say for your business your payroll, just to keep it simple, is $20,000 a month. You take that and multiply it by two and a half, which means that your loan amount that you can request is $50,000. So in one block, you put what you pay in payroll a month. In the next block, you've multiplied that by two and a half times. And then to the right of it, you put how many people you employ Next, you select the purpose of your loan. So if it's just for payroll, you click that. If you own your own building and you pay a mortgage on it, you click that. If you pay rent, you click that. And if you're using money for utilities, you click there. The best thing is click all that apply because the amount you are borrowing stays the same. So other than that, what happens is this application... When the official one becomes available rather than the the sample that you can look at now you will submit it to either your own bank or credit union if they are an SBA lender or you find one who is an SBA lender or what the feds are hoping is that banks and credit unions that don't normally participate in the SBA loan program will participate in this program. Now the intention of the federal government was that people would be able to apply the lender would simply look over the application make sure all the blanks are filled in and then the loan in theory would fund almost immediately. In reality as banks have said it's not going to work that way because they're going to have to figure out what documentation they have to maintain on each loan how they submit each loan request and then they don't have enough employees trained to be able to deal with this. So at first, it's going to be frustrating. It's gonna be like the worst rush hour traffic jam you've gotten into. And then banks and credit unions will get into a flow, they'll know how to do it, they'll have employees trained to do it, and they'll process these applications and then they'll fund. How quickly? Nobody knows. But the great thing is that if you bring your employees back on and you pay them for 60 days from the day the loan funds to 60 days later, potentially 100% of the money you borrow under the Paycheck Protection Program will be forgiven. If you borrow money and the conditions that you borrowed don't qualify for forgiveness you or a portion is not forgiven you have to start paying six months after your loan is funded the interest rate that you pay if you do have to pay on a balance is the lowest i can ever recall other than free it is half of a percent half of a percent really different than what i was telling you earlier in the week with the existing 7A loan program that has endless documentation requirements, but the Paycheck Protection Program does not and has this very low interest rate. If you have to start paying at the end of the six month period, your loan has to be paid back in full within two years, the portion that was not eligible for loan forgiveness. I know we're gonna have many more questions that are very specific, I will do the best to give you the most exact answers I can, and before I go to your questions, I want to turn to the second kind of loan that many people have already filled out applications for, and that is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan and Loan Advance. Under that loan advance of that loan, which you do directly with the SBA, $10,000 can be forgiven just by doing in advance it's like a grant to your small business and that loan is a very short application as I told you yesterday I filled one out to the last step to submit and it took nine minutes from wall to wall to fill out that application how quickly the SBA with its limited staff will be able to process economic injury, disaster loans, and loan advances, don't know. The interest rates on those loans, not as low as the 0.5, but extremely low. Um, Remember right, 2.75%, I think, on that one. Don't quote me on that. All right, so on the application for the Paycheck Protection Program loan, one of the questions is, have you taken out one of these other loans, the economic injury disaster loan? We have to wait till the guidance comes out potentially Thursday night or Friday on whether that would disallow you doing the Paycheck Protection Program loan. Others are posting that you can do both simultaneously. I would not jump the gun on accepting economic injury disaster loans if you want to do the paycheck protection program until we know that you in fact can do both because you don't want to do one and then not do the other if the forgiveness of the paycheck paycheck protection program say that three times if that would be better for you having the loan forgiveness of two and a half times your monthly payroll. And Kim and Joel are asking questions for you that you posted at clark.com slash ask. And Kim, this is going to be one that's going to have like layers of an onion. There are right. going to be questions that the Small Business Administration has not anticipated, that the banks and credit unions have not anticipated. And certainly we will not have anticipated some of the questions. I bet you even have some of those right now. So let's get to it.
1: All right. This might be one of them. This is from Dave Clark. I have two investment properties and I am sole proprietor. Am I eligible for the SBA COVID-19 disaster loan relief? My renters are still paying, but I'm wondering if I can take out the loan in advance just in case.
0: From going through the application for the disaster loan, I know of no reason that would prevent you from borrowing. The idea though of it Is it specifically to deal with a temporary loss of revenue? And you may want to keep your powder dry and wait to see if, in fact, your tenants stop paying. And that would be the time at which you would qualify with the spirit of the economic injury disaster loan and what may become a real need at a later time.
2: Joel? Clark, Ron says, I've got a Prosper loan. Any idea if they will allow deferred payments during this pandemic?
0: Prosper and Lending Club are in terror of people stopping their payments. And you may be aware that as an experiment, because so many listeners were asking me about investing in Prosper and Lending Club loans, that I have invested in both a an amount that I put in three years ago, I think it is, and I'm getting communications from them to me as a investor saying we are we are trying to collect the money that you're owed and what I would do if you have a Prosper or Lending Club loan, know that they are terrified you're not going to pay, but they also know there are people who aren't going to be able to pay And if that is your situation, contact them immediately, electronically, and let them know your difficulties in paying your loan. It's time for more of your questions on the Clark Howard Show. Different format than normal as we try to deal with as many questions as we can. Post your questions for me at clark.com slash ask, and then producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions. Kim, who you got?
1: This is from Chad. He says, I am having issues registering for unemployment. I've completed the online application process, but I'm still getting an error. They say they're un- they're unable to verify my identity. Will this impact me receiving unemployment checks? I've tried calling and haven't been able to get an answer.
0: Yes. You know, states are, I'm really sorry about your difficulty getting through the process with your state. States are seeing demand that has risen by thousands of percent versus what they would have in a normal week. So what's unclear is if your state uses some process with one of the credit bureaus to validate identity before they process, or if their systems are just completely overwhelmed. And so there are any of a number of people who are desperate to have income come in from unemployment And because of the lack of resources the states have and how poorly staffed they were in unemployment offices, it's going to be a while till that logjam is broken. In addition, the states are still waiting for guidance and regulations from the U.S. Department of Labor how to implement the new unemployment compensation that's available with the federal money that's the 600 a week for four months, and also the new eligibility criteria for unemployment that expands beyond people who are traditional workers to include gig workers, self-employed, and independent contractors. So it is going to be a frustrating haphazard process that will vary by state. Don't get discouraged and at the same time be as patient as you can be with a process that is overwhelming to everybody right now and hopefully states will be able to amp up hiring or transferring people and to process unemployment compensation in large numbers from people who aren't needed right now in other state departments
2: joel clark ty wants to know is now a good time to refinance my home i'm at five and a half percent interest rate and owe 173,000 bucks right now on the home, and it's worth 200,000.
0: Well, you don't have a lot of equity in your home, which will make it more difficult for you to refi, but with your rate where it is, there is a great advantage to you trying to do a refi. Contact credit unions first, because they have been the best at doing refis, and their rates are generally much better than they are from traditional banks. Glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make right now and for a lot of people there's not much you're making. So this is a real rough day with a lot of fear for a lot of people with it being the beginning of April and rent now due. So I want to tell you what you need to know as a renter. If you have lost your job your unemployment hasn't started, and you can't pay rent right now, you can't pay rent. And why did I say it like that? Because sometimes the facts are just what they are, and there are clear protections that have come into focus in more and more situations where even if you cannot pay your rent, your landlord will not be able to evict you. Now, as I shared with you days ago, but it may not have been something on your radar yet or you may not have heard me, under federal rules that have been issued, a very large number of people who rent from individuals who have mortgages on the properties they rent to you or from traditional landlords are under a moratorium on evictions. It doesn't mean you don't owe your rent and it doesn't mean that eventually once the coronavirus emergency lifts that if you can't make up the rent you've missed that your landlord would not evict you at that point. Your landlord would be free to evict you once the emergency lifts. So this is something that was in the third stimulus bill law that all evictions from any building that was financed with a federally backed mortgage Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac or any loan through HUD you cannot be evicted during the coronavirus crisis period. Now you as a renter you're not going to know whether the apartment complex you're in is one that has a loan that was funded by Fannie Mae Freddie Mac or HUD but the management company of that complex is going to know or will know and hopefully they will not flout the law but that covers A lot of people like me, uh, although I don't have any rental properties with a federally backed mortgage, but if I did and you weren't paying me rent, I am not allowed to evict you. And that covers somewhere guessing maybe 35 to 45 percent of individual landlords have mortgages on the property that come under this and cannot evict you during this time. For people who live in traditional professionally managed apartment complexes, the number is more like half of the units. So a huge percent of people have a shield from eviction. Again, not that you don't owe the money, but that for now, if you cannot pay, you can't be kicked out. Now on top of that, Most of the nation's states, and covering the overwhelming percent of population in the United States, now have had orders issued either by their state's governor or by the state courts that have invalidated all evictions for renters during coronavirus. So there are still states that permit evictions, even though in states that do, by the way, it's 34, according to a count that was done by USA Today, 34 have issued broad moratoriums on evictions. 16 states that more or less evictions can still occur, except a lot of cities and counties in those 16 states have said that you cannot be evicted during this time. So even if as a landlord, I have a tenant who doesn't pay, and I file for what's known as dispossessory to put that tenant out. That dispossessory, even if granted, cannot be carried out right now in most situations, most places in the country. Now, did you hear me say everywhere? No. And if you do get a notice, you can't ignore it you must go to court if a court date is issued or if they're doing some form of electronic way of being present in court you need to be present because if you fail to appear either if they're doing an electronic system or if you are required to go in person then a default is issued against you default judgment against you so you cannot ignore even with various prohibitions that may be in place you can't ignore the legal notices you will receive. One other thing I wanted to say to you, most people get embarrassed when they can't pay a bill and they hide from it. If you have lost your job, you have not started to receive unemployment and you cannot pay your rent, please stay in contact with your landlord whether it's an individual landlord or a professional management company, stay in touch with them and let them know what's going on with you. Uh, some landlords will do nothing for you in that case. Others are being accommodating. But the important thing is to stay in touch. And Cameron, Joel, who's next?
1: I am up. This is from Caesar. He says, as a corporate employee, I've been contributing to my employer's offered 401k. I try to keep track of it as much as possible. And right now with the global situation and the market's instability, I've lost about 20% since the beginning of the year. What can I do to keep my funds safe? Can I liquidate the entire 401k and keep it in savings instead?
0: So first of all, 20% is not horrific. And I don't know your age, but know that even if markets decline from here, that ultimately the economy is going to recover, coronavirus is going to be in the rearview mirror, and this as a long-term play will be an insignificant effect on your life. Right now it hurts, like somebody took a knife and stabbed it right into you with seeing the decline in that value. And we fear losses more than we appreciate gains. If you think back over the years, how much money you've put into that 401k is gained. But now, in decline, if you actually keep participating, every pay period, you're buying additional shares in your 401k at effectively lower prices, which ultimately, down the road when recovery does come, makes you more money. But if you can't handle that, if psychologically your mind's blown, inside your 401k will be something referred to as a stable value fund or an interest income fund or something along those lines, you could sell out your positions in the 401k, stay in the 401k in a much more conservative choice that just treads water and ride this out. The problem is, is that when the inevitable recovery comes, you miss that recovery I want to add an annex I've forgotten to mention, Kim and Joel, and that is that employers in modest numbers now, but it may grow, are discontinuing their employer contributions to 401ks to try to preserve cash, and don't be surprised if you get a notice from your employer that the employer match on the 401k plan is in fact temporarily suspended. Joel?
2: Clark Jackie says, I'm not sure if this is the smartest question, but where does that $2 trillion stimulus money come from exactly? How does Congress generate that amount of money in a matter of days?
0: So that's a great question. You know, our states must run, I think without any exception, must run balanced budgets. The federal government can manufacture money as it wishes. This is something ultra important in wartime. There's no way we ever would have been able to effectively fought World War I or II if we had not had the ability to manufacture money, if you will, and there are multiple ways that the federal government can create money out of thin air. Now, in a time that the economy would have been um, intensely strong generating inflation, printing money like we're doing now could lead to severe inflationary pressures but there's nothing showing that right now and even though these uh, budget deficits we're running are atrocious this is a temporary event and the spending is necessary in order to keep the economy alive and if you think about it the term I'm seeing most from economists is that we have put the economy into a medically induced coma. There was nothing wrong with the economy of any note. It was slowing already and we were likely headed towards a mild recession that had nothing to do with coronavirus. But now in order to save as many lives as we can in the United States and elsewhere in the world, we have reduced voluntarily a massive amount of economic activity. And in order to allow society to come back to life after the economically induced coma, we have to have money in people's hands and companies that have not gone out of business through this process. And that's why we are creating money essentially out of thin air. If you ever wanted to bore yourself to death, you could go Uh, take, audit a class at a college in economics because they're available for free online and blow your mind about how central banks can generate funds out of thin air. And I know that freaks a lot of people out, but in this circumstance, in this case, don't be freaked out. Kim?
1: Pamela says, my husband is an essential worker at a roofing supply company. He's 65, he's diabetic, and I worry about him going into the office daily, even though they're trying their best to take precautions. Because he is high risk, what happens if he doesn't go in? Can he file for unemployment if he essentially quits?
0: So first of all, do you know that your husband's age and condition, diabetes, has been the number one condition that has led to people having serious health consequences from coronavirus higher than heart higher than lung so your husband is in an extremely vulnerable position being 65 and having diabetes uh, it won't be clear till the labor department issues its final regulations or at least interim regulations often referred to as guidance but there is an assumption that people who were told that for medical reasons it is not safe for them to work will be eligible for unemployment, but that will await the wording of the interim regulations guidelines or final regulations. But as far as it being a severe danger to your husband, it is a severely serious situation for him to be reporting to work.
2: Joel? Clark Monica says, I have CDs in a couple banks and credit unions which are maturing. The one credit union is local and it's pretty small though. So would it be safer to move that money to a CD in a bank that's FDIC insured?
0: As long as the credit union is NCUA insured, it is the same as having the money in the bank. The National Credit Union Administration, NCUA, is the credit union federal equivalent of FDIC and both money in an FDIC insured bank and an NCUA insured credit union are equal in terms of their safety. Occasionally there will be a credit union that is backed by state guarantee funds. Those always make me nervous. I want your credit union to be NCUA which you would see immediately if you went to your credit union's website. If you have a question for me, please go to clark.com slash ask and post it. And producers, Kim and Joel, are alternating asking your questions for you. And Kim, who you got?
1: This is from Christina. She says, with the tax deadline extended, has this extended the cutoff for the 2019 Roth IRA contributions?
0: Yes, it has. So Roth IRA, traditional IRA, um, and HSA contributions, that have look back privilege where you can contribute in this tax year for last year. Normally that would end in April and that ends in July. So you're good to go if you wanna wait a few months before you make those contributions as 2019 contributions. One thing I wanted to add to that, not every state has fallen in line completely yet With the federal delay in filing taxes, don't let that slip up on you, and check to make sure that your state is not requiring you to file your state income tax two weeks from now, even though the federal government's giving you three and a half months. Joel?
2: Clark Travis says, I had a trip for my dad and I booked on Southwest to go to Vail the week of April 13th. We had to cancel for obvious health risk reasons with the coronavirus, so I canceled and received a travel credit. I wish I'd left them, though, and waited to have Southwest just cancel on me. So should I rebook with those travel credits and wait for them to cancel, or will I be stuck with travel credits either way?
0: (laughs) Okay, that is brilliant. So uh, Southwest has been slower than all the other airlines in the United States to discontinue flights and ground aircraft. They're now realizing their load factors are moving towards zero and they're very heavily parking planes and discontinuing flights. So you could rebook, as Southwest has no penalty anyway for change or cancellation. If a flight then cancels that you booked you have a right to request a refund. And I have an update on that as I've shared with you United Airlines is violating federal law and the contract they entered into you, and United has been refusing to make refunds. They have now received a letter from 11 U.S. senators wanting an explanation from United why the laws of the United States of America don't apply to United Airlines. And as best I know, other airlines other than United are doing what the law requires, and if they cancel a flight, giving you a refund. Uh, The airlines would all love to hold on to money to try to survive, but the law is the law. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to, and this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And I wanted to give you an update on what's going on on the healthcare cost side of this for your own wallet. I want you to know that if you have been furloughed from your job in versus laid off, if you had health benefits before the furlough, what most employers are doing is they're calling it a furlough rather than a layoff, is they're maintaining your health coverage. If on the other hand your employer just lays you off and says you're out of there, no benefits, you can re-enter the healthcare exchange. At uh, go to healthcare.gov, and if you have um, very low income, you may qualify for essentially free coverage on the healthcare.gov exchange, being able to go in immediately, virtually after having lost your job. It is a bit of a bureaucratic maze getting through that, be patient with yourself. In addition, if you have coverage, the big insurers are now saying that you're not gonna be balance billed based on your deductibles and other cost sharing that you would normally face. So the the bigs in the business are uh, Aetna is the biggest, I guess, Cigna and Humana, and they are not going to hit you with the big out of pockets. Now, this is great that they're doing it. The reason that insurers are doing more than they normally do is they don't want people to go untreated because they're afraid of the costs and spread it to other people. And the overall effect on everybody's bottom line becomes so much more severe if people are afraid to be treated because they're afraid of their wallets being destroyed even if they're saved. So in this particular case, only involving care for coronavirus, the big insurers are saying, don't worry, we got your wallets back for you. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. Some of the most difficult questions that have been posed to us with our team Clark as people call in with problems they're having as they're being posted at clark.com ask, concern people who had booked travel of various types can't go now and can't get their money back. One of the messiest of all has involved VRBO and Airbnb. VRBO, which is owned by, I think they're owned by Expedia, one of the big travel providers. VRBO has sided pretty much 100% with their hosts and has told travelers who booked to go soak their heads. VRBO says, hey, it's up to the host. If, if they don't want to give you the money back or any of it back, life's tough and go get lost. Airbnb took pretty much the opposite standpoint and alienated its hosts by saying okay you can't go even though there was non-refundability on your booking we're giving you your money back as a traveler and that's overwhelmingly what's happened with these two booking platforms VRBO trying to curry favor with the people who list properties with it sided with them Airbnb sided with the renters, not the property owners. So both of them have managed to make people unhappy. But Airbnb has done something yesterday that is really, really thoughtful. Some of the principal owners of Airbnb have taken their own money, put it into Airbnb, and they're making partial payments to landlords who've had bookings eviscerate or vanish. So the hosts are going to receive, I mean they don't get all their money, they get back roughly 25% more or less of what they would have had as revenue if the bookings had proceeded. What Airbnb is trying to do is make sure that hosts can make their mortgage payments so that when this settles and people are traveling again, that those hosts are still able to operate their rental properties. They still have them. They're able to rent those things out to their guests. There are no perfect answers here with who ends up having their wallet gored over this, but I'm very unhappy with how VRBO just washed its hands of it and said to travelers pretty much, you're straight out of luck. Airbnb struck a different balance and is going to make their loyalist hosts unhappy generally, but the travelers will be really relieved. You're listening to the Clark Howard Show.